Good morning. Many of you know that later this year, my family and I will be relocating to Rwanda to serve in mission. We took a trip to Rwanda last fall, and at the end of a Sunday worship service there, I heard a Rwandan church leader say to our American friend, I need to come visit you sometime. I noticed this particularly because it stood in contrast to what I've usually observed in the US, where it's more customary to visit on an invitational basis. Now, I'm not here to tell you that one of those is better than the other. These are just cultural norms. But think for a moment about the role that visiting has played in your life. Maybe you grew up in a family that visited others all the time, relatives, nursing homes, neighbors, or you received countless visitors into your home. Maybe you grew up in a family that seldom practiced visiting, or only received visitors around major holidays or birthdays, if even that. I know that today, Aidan McCarthy has a birthday. He's downstairs with the youth right now. I hope that maybe today Aidan receives some visitors. Today is the second Sunday of Easter. Alleluia! And whatever your history with visiting, as we continue to celebrate Eastertide, I want us to rejoice together that the risen Christ came back to visit his people. That in John 20, our lectionary text, he did not wait for an invitation from his disciples, but said to himself, I need to go visit them. John 20 is the story of a surprise visit. As we walk through this story together, my goal for us today is to confidently remember two truths. First, God visits his people. And second, God sends his people. Throughout history, God has had a habit of visiting his people, whether he was invited or not. Jesus' earthly life and ministry were a culmination of God visiting humanity, but it certainly wasn't the first time that God had paid his creation a special visit. In fact, the Old Testament is replete with visitations from God. God visited Abraham in the form of three mysterious travelers. God met with Moses on Mount Sinai. He tabernacled with his people in the wilderness. He set his spirit on the prophets in a special way. And he dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem. You could probably think of more examples. God had a habit of intentionally visiting his people and sharing his presence. In John 20, as we near the end of the fourth gospel, Jesus has risen from the dead, but he's not quite done visiting. The risen Christ appears mysteriously, magnificently, miraculously, physical body and all, to his disciples who are hiding for fear of the Jewish leaders in a locked room. Eleven of the twelve are there. Thomas is not, and we're not told why. And there might have been other disciples, too. We can picture why they are hiding. While they might have preferred to be heroes relentlessly continuing to proclaim the message of Christ, the disciples were, after all, human. Yes, they had heard from Mary Magdalene that same morning that she had seen Jesus. But according to the parallel account in the Gospel of Luke, many did not believe the testimony because it seemed like nonsense. Can you picture them turning to one another? That's nonsense. 
It is, right? Right? So they remained confused and scared. They had seen what happened to Jesus three days before. They knew that the Romans liked to stamp out the allies of leaders who were considered treasonous. Better to hunker down and hide. Safest. Physically and emotionally safest. Just to hide. But there he was, suddenly, in their midst. The risen Christ visiting his people in the flesh. In a real physical body, like yours, like mine. With nail piercings evident here and here. Just as the risen Christ defied the limits of the grave, he defied the limits of the locked room. It's like a backwards escape room, isn't it? (laughs) How did he get in there? I don't have an answer for you this morning. When I discussed this passage with our youth group last week, one of our kids facetiously remarked, did they lock the walls? (laughs) There's no question that Jesus' appearance was a surprise to his disciples. But as scholar Ben Witherington III puts it, the one who could pass through the grave clothes and leave a neat pile behind would not find locked doors any obstacle. The scriptures tell us that Jesus stood among them and said, Peace be with you. This was a customary greeting, but coming from Jesus, it meant so much more. Hadn't the disciples just heard his words about peace the Thursday before at the Last Supper? At that time, Jesus had said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. How much had happened since then? The arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, the grave Mary Magdalene story. The truth was, at this point, they were afraid and sorely missing Jesus' presence among them. But now here he was, in the flesh, with wounds in his body that proved just who he was. And he was visiting with them and encouraging their frightened hearts again. And one, there is one of Jesus' flock, Thomas, who's not there to witness the event and declares that he will not believe unless he can put his finger in Jesus' side. Then Jesus, our good, good shepherd, pays another visit one week later. That would be today, one week after Easter, to make himself known. He drops in to call on Thomas, and again he says, Peace be with you. And Thomas, who now has the opportunity to reach out and touch Jesus' body, says, My Lord and my God. The bodily visit of the resurrected Jesus compels a confession, a most beautiful confession of who the risen Christ is. My Lord and my God. The risen Christ visited his people in the flesh. And this wasn't the only time we know that Jesus had already appeared to Mary Magdalene as Mother Amanda reflected on last Sunday. Mary could touch him too. In fact, she clung to him. And the risen Christ would appear many more times after his resurrection as well. This bodily visit from Jesus was certainly a unique gift that people of his lifetime received. If you're like me, you might have spent time as a kid or maybe even as an adult 
thinking that those people just had it the best, didn't they? Being with Jesus in the flesh, walking with him, talking with him, looking into his eyes. Jesus understood this, and indeed he had addressed it with his disciples. Before his death, Jesus had told his followers that not only would he need to leave, but it was for their benefit that he was going. Imagine that. It was for their benefit because then he could send the Holy Spirit to them. He called the Holy Spirit the advocate, the spirit of truth, the one who would teach them and remind them of everything Jesus had said to them. This is the one who would visit them continually in their hearts. And during this intimate visit inside the locked room in Jerusalem, that gift is given. Jesus breathes on his disciples and says to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. We tend to associate the coming of the Holy Spirit with Pentecost, and with good reason. Pentecost is when the Spirit came upon the masses in a new, public, expansive way. It was a totally unique event, and I am not here to steal the thunder of Pentecost. We'll get there in a few weeks. But the promise is beginning to unfold. The total outpouring of the Spirit's activity hadn't come yet, but we might picture the introduction of the Spirit in John 20 like the dawning of a new day, with the sun just beginning to glow pink beyond the horizon. The fullness of the blaze isn't yet revealed, but the light is there and the light is real. The giving of the Spirit starts softly, not unlike a sunrise, softly with just a breath. Jesus breathes in, Jesus breathes out, exhaling the Holy Spirit onto and into his people. With the risen Christ comes new life in the Spirit, indeed new creation, a new day. When we read that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit onto his disciples, we are meant to recall the first creation, when God breathed life into Adam. The first Adam was given life. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, gives life, new life. Through the risen Christ, God was making things new. I wonder how the Lord is visiting us today. It turns out that in God's good plans, the rest of us, I mean all of us around the globe today whose lives are not unfolding in first century Palestine, the rest of us are not left out. If we are in Christ, then that same spirit dwells in us today too, visiting us in our hearts. I encourage you to be attentive to that today. Know that the spirit can visit you, can visit us, whatever state we find ourselves, can share with us Jesus' message of peace and truth, the peace of his presence. If we're in a place of joy and confidence, doubtful, grieved, fearful, nervous about things in the world, about things in our church, if we're hiding behind a couple walls, the Spirit can still visit. When our Ukrainian brothers and sisters 
are grieved and fearful, the Spirit can visit them too. The body of Christ is big, and like the risen Christ defying the stone tomb and the stone walls, the Spirit is not restricted. The Spirit is not restricted by place or by time or by people. For all Putin's schemes to isolate, intimidate, and eliminate, the Spirit is not restricted from visiting when and where and who he wants. Praise God. I also encourage you to invite the Lord to visit you. God is capable of showing up by surprise. We know that well, but he loves an invitation. If you are a follower of Jesus, invite him. Make space. Prepare a place. And if you're with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to invite him to speak to your heart too. I pray that he encounters you just where you are and reveals himself to you. That is our first point to remember today, that God visits his people. Our second point is that God sends his people. Just before Jesus bestows the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, the scriptures tell us that he commissioned them, saying, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. There is a new creation brought about by the resurrected Christ. And the disciples in hiding receive a new commissioning to be sent out into the world just as Jesus was, to carry his presence and his message with them wherever they go. Hiding was no longer an option. Might they have been nervous? Certainly. But God, the giver of every good gift, had equipped them in just the ways they needed. Scholar Craig Keener says, and I quote, Believers can do the work because God has worked for them. The Father sent his Son and empowered believers by the Spirit imparted through his Son. The sending of the Son is the heart of the fourth gospel plot. Its conclusion is open-ended, spilling into the story of the disciples. End quote. Spilling into the story of the disciples. I love that because it suggests to us that the mission of God's people, and I don't just mean foreign mission, I mean the work and ministry of all God's people, the mission of God's people is an overflow of our identity in Christ. Through the Spirit's empowerment, we are transformed in such a way that we are brimming with the fullness of Christ. His presence, his message of reconciliation, his service, his peace, his very person. And it spills out of us into the world. I hope that this sending um, from John 20 encourages you today. This passage is sometimes overshadowed by perhaps better known texts like Matthew 28, which has claimed the title of the Great Commission. But Actually, the church has shifted in its understanding of mission throughout the centuries. I don't think that's because God's people were continually wrong or totally confused or just hadn't cracked it. I think it's because the mission of God is rich and multifaceted and written across many pages of Scripture. The quote-unquote Great Commission in Matthew 28 
which is a wonderful text, really emerged as a core text for thinking about mission just in the last few centuries with the modern missionary movement. If we go way back, we see that John 3.16 led the way for the Church Fathers' understanding of mission. Luke 14, a text about masters and servants, was core to medieval Catholic thought about mission. And a portion of Romans 1, in which Paul declares that he is not ashamed of the gospel, was central to missional understanding during the Reformation. The truth is that God's mission is big, and John 20 has a place at that big table. Jesus said, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. I wonder how the Lord is sending us today. The disciples in the locked room were sent, and we as followers of Jesus today are sent ones too. Might we be nervous? Certainly. But God, the giver of every good gift, is faithful to equip us in just the ways we need, namely through the Spirit, so that we carry the presence of Christ with us everywhere. It's not that skills and gifts are irrelevant. We certainly want to be faithful and thoughtful in stewardships of the gifts that God has given us individually and communally. But at its core, our mission as Christ followers, as sent ones, is not actually based on how eloquently we can preach from this pulpit. It's not based on how well we learn Spanish in Highwood. It's not based on how efficiently we coordinate and communicate in our daily lives and ministries. It is based on the truth that as Christians, we carry the presence of Christ wherever we go. Friends, if we are in Christ, then we are commissioned by Jesus and equipped by the power of the Spirit to continue his mission in the world, loving, serving, visiting others, and inviting them into reconciled relationship with God through Jesus. Wade and I are moving to Rwanda, not because we outshine every other candidate in every skill set possible. <laughs> not that you thought that. <laughs> I'm grateful that for the gifts that God has given us, and it's my deep hope that we offer them faithfully in Rwanda. But the heart of our going, of our being sent, is that as people who confess Jesus as our Lord and our God, right there with Thomas, we carry his presence wherever we go. Today, let us rejoice that the risen Christ paid his disciples a surprise visit in a locked room without an invitation, that he visited them, that he sent them. There's one more thing that I want to touch on from today's lectionary texts. Fast forward a few decades after Jesus' visit in the locked room. The Apostle John is getting older. Our John, the very John who stood in the locked room with the other disciples, he has been a faithful, sent servant of Jesus for years, and he is exiled on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean because of his faith. He receives a vision from God, revelation, 
as John begins to record the words of the revelation, grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ. This is from our lectionary text today. Does it stir a memory? Is he transported from the sun-scorched island to the dark stone-encased room in Jerusalem where Jesus visited in the flesh and said, peace be with you? As John continues to record the vision, we receive hints in Revelation 1 that Jesus' visits are still not over. Yes, the risen Christ will be back again. John writes, Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and on his account all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. These words were originally the prophet Zechariah's. We could say they were fulfilled when Jesus came to earth the first time. We can also say they're waiting to be even more fully filled because here in John's vision, they anticipate another visit from Christ too, the second advent. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. We say these words together every Sunday and we know them to be true. Christ is not finished visiting yet. Finally, I want to close today with this. In Disney's recent film, Encanto, Bruno is the lost brother of the family. He's an outcast who disappeared. In the journey that involves his restoration into the family, he tells his niece Mirabel, who is on a special mission to save what they call their family's miracle, he says, hey, after you save the miracle, come visit. In turn, Mirabel says to Bruno, after I save the miracle, I'm bringing you home. And that is the way of Jesus. God has been visiting his people throughout history, but he's not satisfied to leave it that way. All that visiting is pointing to something much bigger that eventually the risen Christ will be back again to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end, and he will bring his people home, bodies and all, where we will be together in God's good and holy restored family. Thanks be to God.